This is like a therapy session. Patricia Bryant, she's a creator, author, entrepreneur with an incredible story. Growing up, my mum should take us to offices to clean the offices and we'll go to school and she would say like just don't tell anyone that you're working at five o'clock in the morning you just go to school in the morning and act like everything was normal there is pressure for influencers to speak up on every topic all the time bearing in mind that my forte is makeup and clothing and financed you know to an extent but we are not credible sources who know everything. We just don't. And I think it's really important for us to say speaking up on stuff that you know nothing about is very, very dangerous. I had a stalker for like three years and it was someone who would like just message me on all my platforms constantly, send emails, message family members. So I did a meet and greet, an event. And then they messaged me, he's like, haha, I was at your meet and greet. So I remember feeling so anxious. You didn't see me, you look so terrible in person. Next time I'm gonna do something. Patricia Bryant. She's a creator, author, entrepreneur, and a mother. And she has a remarkable, inspiring story. Growing up on a council estate, having her dad deported when she was just five years old. A Nigerian mother that came to this country doing cleaning jobs at night, which she took Patricia along to with her. And that mother became a property mogul. And Patricia, she became a superstar in her own right. So it's no surprise that when I looked at the comment section on a previous podcast episode, a comment requesting Patricia Bright to sit here with me and to be on this podcast had over a hundred upvotes. And now I know why. Her attitude, perspective, ambition, self-belief, resilience is incredible. So without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett, and this is The Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. We share one big similarity with our childhoods in the fact that we both had Nigerian mothers. We did. We did, okay. yeah. I didn't know that. Well, really? No, I didn't actually. Well, I still have a Nigerian mother, so I should <laughs> yeah. had. I, I <laughs> yeah, we both did. have Nigerian mothers. And um, I believe both of our Nigerian mothers moved from Nigeria to the UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, they were both born in Nigeria. So their, you know, authentic roots are there. But, you know... Tell me about the rest of your childhood. I only had one Nigerian parent. I hear right, you, had, okay. you had two. Yeah, I had both my mum and dad um, growing up, um, but my dad was actually deported. So he got deported when I was probably like six years old. And I actually remember the experience of his deportation as being something very traumatic. In hindsight, as an adult, I recognise that. But growing up, you know, with an African mum, African dad, our culture was just a part of us on an everyday basis. But also I was from South London as well. So I kind of grew up in Battersea and I came from a very diverse school, but I always went back to like a very African home. And um, yeah, I think it really shaped me to who I, I am today. In what ways? I think it's that kind of, <laughs> I'm going to say aggression. Mm. There's something about Nigerians out of all other people from say the diaspora 
um, that I think means that we're quite aggressive and very passionate. Let's not say aggressive. Let's say passionate. We're intense. We know what we want. And there's also a huge sense of like pride as well that we can do anything and we're good. And I feel very privileged that I had a lot of that you're great, you'll do well, you'll be successful. Don't worry about what's going on. Don't don't see reality as a definition of a limitation for yourself. And I think that that's really made me do a lot of things that supposedly I shouldn't be able to do. But that kind of upbringing made me be like, no, I can do it. It's fine. It was always fine. I watched my mum do a lot of things that would be considered impossible for her. And she just did it with ease and chaos in my opinion now but somehow she kind of achieved those things and I would feel very privileged to kind of grow up with that sense of confidence instilled in me which I think is really cultural as a Nigerian and I bet she didn't complain either oh there was no complaining she did she just got on with it like even when my dad was deported she just got on with it and there were times that you know growing up my mum used to work on the trains. So she was one of the train cleaners and my sister's three and I'm five. She'd go out at night and leave us because there was no one to like look after her kids. She'd go out, she'll clean, she'll clean offices. She'll take us to offices to clean the offices when we were younger. And um, she just did it and we'll go to school. And she would say like, just don't tell anyone that you're working at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> she Obviously you're not going to go to school and tell people, oh, I've just been at, Foxton's like cleaning and helping my mum out. You'd just go to school in the morning and act like everything was normal. Um, but no, there wasn't any complaining and she just kind of got on with it. And do you think, you know, you, you referred to that as being, that gave you kind of confidence that you could do anything. But it, for me, it sounds a lot like, because of that immigrant story is so connected with like survival. And that's why I talked about like, she didn't complain. Cause it's like a lot of complaint comes from privilege almost, doesn't it? When you, yeah. when, you, when you feel like you have a choice. Yeah, but what's really also really interesting is that some people still feel lucky. The fact that she wasn't deported when my dad was deported, she probably felt, oh my God, I'm so lucky I got to kind of stay here. And um, why would you complain when you feel like you're in a better position for yourself and your children in the long term? So yeah, she didn't have the privilege of wanting to complain, but I think she was really like happy to still be here. Though she had to work hard, I think she knew that she had a lot of opportunity while being here and she retrained and she she became a nurse and then she bought properties and then she retired in her 40s. Like, I love England in that it's kind of like the land of opportunity for those who really want to like, you know, work out what to do and use it. So I think she could see that that was possible for her. And you talked about that, that day when you were six years old, when you're, there's a knock on the door at nighttime, mm -hmm. at nighttime. It might've been at night. It might've been in the middle of the day, to be honest. What I do remember is like literally about four burly police officers, officers kind of walking in, um, shouting like screaming like and there's me as a five-year-old my sister is a three-year-old my mom in tears and then literally dragging my dad out of the house and it was like your dad's gone like at that one moment and it, we didn't see him again for seven years afterwards so it was like I at the time I didn't I never processed it it's only in the last year or two I've processed how kind of maybe traumatic that kind of experience would have been for me as a child. And I think it's also made me really be fearful of loss, which is why I work so hard so that things like that don't happen, hopefully, to me and my family in the future.
So in the last couple of years, you've had time to reflect on that. And you've, you, I, I guess you're saying, did you choose to reflect on that or go through the journey of reflecting on that because you could see things in your behaviour that you thought maybe that's connected? I didn't even recognise it. I knew that there was, like, I work really hard. Like, I'm really intense and I'm always like, let's just keep going. I'm always like that. And until I literally, you know, started to have therapy, I was like, where does that come from? And it was that then got uncovered in my therapy sessions that actually the maybe one of the triggers for me to, like working hard was because because of that maybe fear of loss. Um, and obviously there's other aspects as well. I just mm. like hustling. That's mm. fun. But there was also maybe this thing here that was one of my drivers that I've actually used in a positive way, but it's also important to kind of reflect on like dealing with things like that. And I think that I came from a place of, oh, it happened. That just happened. It's fine. On to the next. Whereas like when you sit down and talk about it, you're like, oh, that's that's not great. Like, no, that's five not years a, old as well. That's not a great situation. Yeah. yeah. It must have taught you something about something, even if that lesson was wrong. That's the way I think about it. I'm like, that must have taught you something about the nature of life. Because at five years old, you're learning what the world means and what this means and that power and your dad and your mum. Yeah. It must have taught you some lesson about something, even if that lesson was wrong, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't even realise that it could have been teaching me something. Mm. Like, no idea. But maybe that... <laughs> stuff happened. That's mm. life. You're not really in control of anything. Um, but things like that can't stop you. Mm. Yeah. And it, I mean, yeah, I think if my parents were snatched out of my house, I definitely wouldn't feel safe. In, yeah. I wouldn't feel safe, you know, because that, that's parents represent the foundation of like safety in you. Know, this is my house and these are my parents and mm. they, they just are. Yeah. And then one of those things is snatched out. It makes you I guess, insecure about ever feeling too safe to some degree. Yeah. yeah. But I think for me, my, maybe mine was that I can't rely on the system or other people to secure my safety, maybe. And so I kind of am always trying to make sure I secure myself with the actions that I take, because those are the only things I'm in control of. Mm. So I'm very much like, I'll do it myself. I'll sort it out myself. Oh, don't worry because you never know what's going to happen there. And I and like that as a person. Does that make you paranoid about, I guess, everything or professionally? No, um, it makes me really objective. Okay. I'm, like I'm a pure realist, like something's probably going to go wrong at some point in time and that's fine. Like, mm. how are you going to handle that? Like, it's almost like I prepare for something to go wrong in a way. This is like a therapy session. No, yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty much what this podcast okay, is. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's, I just find, I, I think when I started this podcast, I I um, I was anticipating to find these like wild differences between everybody. Mm -hmm. But in fact, I found the opposite, which is that fundamentally um, we're all very, very similar. Right. When it relates to things like insecurity and safety and childhood. And then um, obviously, because in many respects, you've, you've gone on to create a career for yourself that is so different from so many, it would be sometimes you think, well, what, what was the initial catalyst that caused that person to be different? What was the, like, the environment, it's almost like a cauldron. What, what was the furnace they were, like, scolded in to yeah. make them then more hardworking or obsessive or whatever? And, um, yeah. yeah, I guess, I mean, having a Nigerian mother, I, I already know <laughs> what that part is like. You could call it a cauldron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. But just that, that work ethic piece as well, which um, is quite absent in this culture. Um, and that, uh, the, you know, the, what we talked about complaining, you referred to this as the land of opportunity. Yeah. 
How does that make you feel when you see people who have lots of a, a much more, let's say, financially privileged start to life, um, and they don't fully understand the opportunity, mm-hmm. the land of opportunity? So my first thought is like I roll, like oh there you go, moaning or complaining. But I also realised that there's so many different types of privileges that people have that can actually provide them like a long-term foundation. I think that if you don't, some people have financial privilege, but they have no love, they have no hope, they have no, no one to tell them that they're good. Whereas I may not have had the financial privileges, but I had a mum who was so loving and so caring and so encouraging that I was in a better position just because I had that. So I don't want to ever tell someone that you're privileged because of X, Y, Z. Maybe in other areas, they didn't have the support that they needed to actually um, spur them on to be the best version of themselves. Um, So I try not to be that judgmental anymore because there's so many different categorizations of privilege. And at some point, you know, you, you said your mum, she retrained herself. She mm-hmm. became a nurse, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and off you went to university. I did. Yeah. I went off to university. MMU. We have a similarity again. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my Isn't gosh. I crazy? love that. Yeah. Yeah. I lasted I- one lecture, but <laughs> <laughs> I was there for all three years, but I just dropped out. Yeah. Okay, great. And um, we have that in common because I, I was barely there, but I was, I had a great social life. I was so, really amazing. enjoying. Manchester's great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, no, I went to university after like leaving home and I was so ready to like get out of my house and get out of London and try something new and then find myself in like a new city. I actually went in to do fashion marketing and to my parents' despair, because again, as an African, you don't do fashion. That's not, that's not a real course. You do accounting, you do law, you do business, you don't do fashion marketing. Um, But I think I've always had this kind of more creative or creative streak as well as rebellious streak as well. Like I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, But funny, I kind of went there to do fashion, but changed my course to accounting and finance Mm. because I realized that there was no financial hope in fashion. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm not going to be broke when I leave university. Hell no. So I I changed. Purely on that, on that basis that you, purely on that basis. I didn't love my course. And then when they were doing internship opportunities, they were paying interns 8K a year, 10K a year. And like graduate starting salaries were like 8, 8K. And I was like, I, I'm not rich enough to do this. No way. And then I found out about accounting and finance and they, they were like the banks that had really good opportunities. And I was really good at the accounting because we had a module um, in the fashion marketing and I would, I smashed it. And I was like, I'll do accounting and finance. Wow. You said at this point that you were, um, your parents, you know, typical Nigerian parents, my mom was the same. When I actually, when I dropped out is when I got help. But because, uh, yeah. you know, that's even worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather, rather you're doing something uh, yeah. at university. Just, I feel like part of it's just, just so she can tell her friends or something. It's oh, like, facts. do you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like, I'm going to university so that you get a degree as being a good mother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, it's a fact. Yeah. My child is at university is yeah. what they tell all the aunties. Yeah. Like it's very important. Yeah. And at that point, your dad was he was back in your life? Yes. Yeah, so by the time I was um, about 12, he came back. Um, so 
fundamentally they fa- they defined his deportation as an illegal deportation but we i remember going to the court cases and my mum pleading with you know social services and lawyers and just people help us help us get my our dad back like how do we do this and then we went to the court case and she was like i don't know why this man was deported like gavel down bring him back and i was like that took seven years for you guys to do that but he got back and like he just started again worked as a security guard did all of that kind of stuff and then ended up working in the home office <laughs> for immigration which is so random because he was you know deported are you pissed off about that the fact that you lost your dad for seven years mm. for what it, what sounds like it was a bit of a mistake or just negligence well, at least a lack of empathy to take a dad from their kids for what yeah oh am i I'm not pissed off. Maybe I haven't processed it enough to be pissed off. It just felt like it is what it is and this is how it went. Um, I felt more upset for my mum in that I know how difficult it was for her to like have us and have responsibilities and deal with like managing this court case. She managed it her entire self. She represented herself because she didn't have money for like lawyers and stuff. So she was under a lot of stress, but she did it and she did other stuff as well. So that was really the main thing that kind of upset me, I'd say. When did your dad come back? Did you have a relationship with him? It was weird. It was so weird. It's like, this is my dad. (laughs) Hi, dad. Like, how how do we have a relationship with a man we haven't seen for seven years? But, um, you know, he was the kind of, what, stoic African dad. So I, I remember he always gave me an envelope with money at the beginning of term. Like, well done. Look after yourself. Okay. How's the weather? Are you reading your books? Yes, dad. Yes, dad. Okay, good. Like it was that kind of relationship, but I knew it was, it was still caring. It was the way he kind of communicated his care, care for me, which is that envelope of cash. And that's probably like a Nigerian generational cycle of like male figures. Yeah. Just being a bit, you know. A bit standoffish, <laughs> standoff, but caring. Yeah. And yeah. when they ask you certain questions, whether it's about the weather or your studies, how are, how are your studies going? Like that's just, they don't really know what else to ask you (laughs) but them asking you that is is powerful my dad calls me every day is hi how are you fine dad how are the kids fine dad okay bye like it just it's that checking in which Mm. is really i like it (laughs) Mm. i think that's probably also just a male a male issue i think men typically aren't as um emotionally open so they they don't build that you know because vulnerability well um, connection to, seems to be built on vulnerability and it, they seem to have a bit of a guard up i my dad is definitely exactly the same like yeah the questions are so like you know just surface High level. level yes are you okay yes okay <laughs> goodbye <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 let me know if you're not yeah, okay exactly yeah. yeah um so mmu you yeah. go there you feel a bit out of place yeah quite out of place what do you mean by that because i'd never left like london and i'd like I had to make new friends and I didn't know anyone and I wasn't really good at it. And I I couldn't really find my tribe very early on. And I was on a, ca- a campus really far away. I was on the Didsby campus. Oh yeah. Like that out was of town, yeah. Yeah, out of town. Right. And yeah. then there was like the main campus for Manchester university that everyone was at. That's where I was. Yeah, I wasn't there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, in in oh, the it spot. Was a party. Yeah. It, was it was great. And I'm in Didsbury. Right? I was like, come on. Yeah. Um, and I actually ended up like 
moving out of my halls of residence really? and crashing with a number of girls um, in that main campus. And I would move from room to room. So once one friend got annoyed with me after two weeks, <laughs> another friend would stay with me. I'd stay with them for two weeks. And then I'd just go back and forth like a nomad for a bit. And you, you, you changed course to accounting. Yeah. In hindsight, mm-hmm. how important was it? How like pivotal was it for you to have an understanding of finance for everything that would then come in your in your career? Because I feel like I feel like finance is such a neglected topic for for kids. I wish someone had told me about fucking credit scores right. before I oh. smashed mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the moving role was pivotal for my life. Like it set me up on a completely different trajectory that I I wouldn't have even been aware of because. Off the back of that role, I worked at, you know, all the top four four companies in the world in finance. I worked at Merrill Lynch and Deloitte Consulting, banks, all of that stuff. I would have never done that if I'd stayed in fashion. When it came to her from a personal finance perspective, didn't prepare me at all. Really? Not a clue. I owed the tax man money. I, I, I got my taxes wrong. I had to pay fines. I had no clue what I was actually doing. I had the degree. I had the T1. Great. You've passed. How do you actually apply financial knowledge to running your own business, to your everyday personal taxes? Like I didn't have a clue. Spent the money, bought bags, made extra money on the side, spent it all. Oh, the tax man. And I wasn't prepared. Fucking hell. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. uh, a great advert for Manchester Metropolitan <laughs> University. <laughs> Maybe it was just me. Maybe I was just like young and dumb, but like it helped me from a career perspective. But a lot of the financial courses out there don't help people be better themselves with money. And that psychology point, because money's such an emotional thing, especially as like an immigrant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know exactly. I mean? Yeah. When you come, and you grew up on a council estate, right? Growing up on a council estate, getting money, yeah. dangerous concoction for like, yeah. getting a Lamborghini or fucking up with some <laughs> Chanel bag or some shit. Like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like, I grew up on a council estate and then my mum bought her council house, right, for 17 grand, sold that house for 250 grand, used that money to buy it, to build a property empire. And that's how she ended up retiring. So when I was in Manchester, I was actually, my mum bought like four houses in Manchester. So I was doing property management while being a student. So mm. I was still like running businessy stuff, like as a student. So even though I had that came from the council background, I'd seen kind of like how hustle and money could kind of be made and that I didn't have to be broke forever if I was kind of smart about it. Mm-hmm. Your mum yeah. sounds like a right beast. She's, like- She's wild. She bought four houses while you were in Manchester. Yeah. No, how many? No, three. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> so different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but they, they were, oh no, I can't swear. They, they weren't I can't great. swear. Can I swear? Of course you can swear. Have you Are not they heard me? Shit, I was <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's still, I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, she was just in it for the flip. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you start at some point blogging while at university and, and why did you turn to blogging? Why, why was that a compelling path? Vlogging, uh, vlogging, vlogging, I kind of went into it because I kind of had like a friendship fallout and I became a bit of a loner. Like I didn't have a big social group. Like people would go out without me and I I would live with a group of girls and they'd all go out together and I'd be like left at home by myself. So I, I found like online communities. So I was part of different forums before Reddit was Reddit, before YouTube existed, they were like, forums where girls would talk to each other about beauty and makeup and I'd spend 
hours like writing to these girls across the world and sending them pictures and they used to before Instagram there was Fotkey there was all these platforms where we were communicating and then um some of the girls would send videos to each other of like their new hair and their new makeup like so, so random and then YouTube had just launched it's like this is a great way to send videos to each other and so I kind of got sucked up in communicating communicating with all the people that I met online because my real life wasn't that great. And I guess when you started in YouTube, you never, never thought it was anything more than a... No, it wasn't a thing. Mm. At the time of me, like watching YouTube and kind of creating on the platform, there wasn't actually that many people on there. Um, And so like little artists could go viral and there'd be like, there was a song, Chocolate Rain. I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, I remember with the the black guy with the hat. Yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, that was like mind-blowingly amazing and then what there was Michelle Fan. she was like the main beauty girl that was really like killing it so it was such a small little ecosystem that wasn't a business but it was genuinely about like connecting and talking to other people online why did you do so well in hindsight on YouTube honestly length of time like I was just doing it for a really long time and I was very transparent like I was so transparent. I was putting a lot of information out there. Um, I wasn't that strategic with it, but I loved talking to people online. Like they were literally my friends. And I used it a bit like a, a online diary in a way very earlier on. Um, but it wasn't like a full-time thing. I was like interning and wor- working. Um, but I think eventually I got really strategic about it. And that's when I saw like, more growth or huge growth. Um, you were saying that, you know, you first started um, like the online forums and stuff at a time when you'd like fallen out with your flatmates. And mm-hmm. um, I guess from what it sounds like YouTube was giving you that sense of like community, I guess, and that you weren't getting in the real world. Fact. Yes, definitely. I didn't have like a huge social life after a while, um, after the fallout. And I had so much solace with just this online community. I never felt lonely because I could log in and there'd be someone on there and I could read all the forum updates and talk to the girls who were into the things that I was into. They were all over the world. It was just really nice to like have friends. You referred to the fallout as if it was a really pivotal moment in your life. Uh, It wasn't wasn't, uh, wasn't that pivotal, but it's quite hard when you're at uni and like, your friends are off doing stuff and like meeting people and then you're, you you do not have anything to do or they, they're not talking to you. It feels like a big thing in, in real life. It's really Nothing, not a big yeah. thing. Like, but at the time it was like, I'm so lonely. I'll go online. Okay. Yeah. Well, wow. Good thing you did. <laughs> what a journey. And you say consistency, you point at consistency as being the real um, yeah. factor to your success, but consistency must come from you know, in, enjoying it. Because there'll, there'll be a lot of people listening to this thinking, I want to be a YouTuber. I mean, everybody seems to want to be a YouTuber yeah, these days. Yeah, But the insanity to do it as long as you did without the um, guarantee mm-hmm. of money mm-hmm. must have come from somewhere. There uh, was no guarantee of money. Yeah. It was a hobby. Like if you're a painter, you like painting at the weekend, you're going to paint anyway. Whether someone pays you for your art or not, you just enjoy doing it. So I just enjoyed making videos that other girls watch and I could talk to the other girls. So I didn't get paid for like four years, but I was always uploading every weekend. It was my hobby. Like it wasn't 
this is going to be my new job, which is why I even struggle with it now in that I really want to enjoy it in the same way that I always enjoyed it. And do I need to look for a new hobby? And is now YouTube my job? Like, oh, I find it really hard to kind of balance the fact that this thing that was my my escape is kind of like my job now. Mm. There's a, we, I was talking to one of the guests on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about um, this study where when someone gets paid to do a task they used to love doing, they lose motivation for it. Mm. And it's just mental. They, they do this study where they give people this game. The people enjoy doing the game. They then say, we're going to ask you to, to do the game again, but this time you're going to get paid. The other group don't get paid. And the group that got paid to do the thing they just enjoyed doing lose motivation. Oh. Doesn't it make a lot of sense? YouTube, stop paying me. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. no, I like those checks. Um, that is insane. It's you lose internal motivation oh when it becomes gosh. when when some of the um, reason for doing it becomes extrinsic monetary. So, and, and, and this is a you know, it's a wise. Oh my gosh. It's tough, isn't it? It's really tough because... People are like, oh my God, like what a privileged conversation. <laughs> but it, it, it's not because like, say imagine someone's like a, a darts player or something, right? But eventually once they get into the competitive sports of darts, maybe it becomes a bit more stressful. Maybe they 100%. don't enjoy it as much. Maybe the, the, the challenge of doing it is now I've got to perform for my management and the, the, the crew or whatever. I don't mm. know if there's a dart crew. I just made that up. <laughs> but that becomes like, I don't know, more pressure than mm. the person who just wanted to play darts on the Saturday night would feel. And you feel that? No, no. The reason being is that I'm, I try to frame what I do as I've accepted that I have a huge desire to create stuff, right? That's it. So as long as I focus on this process is creation, this process is creation, I'll be fine. And that might mean saying no to work and no to sponsorships for a season. So I can at least feel that creation because I'm very much like, how do I feel about this? Which is kind of bad, but oh, also nice. it's allowed me to do what I'm doing. Feels like a good long-term strategy. Yeah. Right. Because if you're not asking that question in the short term, how do I feel about this? Mm -hmm. So many people, and in fact, that I think the guest that just sat in that chair last, um, you end up gradually becoming someone you never intended to be and ending mm -hmm. up somewhere you never intended to go. Mm -hmm. So that constant asking of that question, how do I feel about this mm -hmm. today? Which I, as you alluded to, means turning down money sometimes, mm -hmm. and, but you know, mm -hmm. thinking longer term about what you're doing and why you're doing it, I think mm -hmm. is so critical, mm -hmm. so critically important. You know, we've got two guests that have come to watch this podcast today. And Sophia, I said, Sophia, you know, she's, she's followed you for some time. I said, Sophia, if you could ask Patricia any question, what would it be? She said to me, um, how did she find the confidence to make the leap from that sort of corporate career to going full time with this thing called YouTube? So for me, my confidence came from an Excel spreadsheet. Okay. So I am not a risk taker. I'm more of a steady and stable person, but I did a bit of maths. I did a bit of a projection. I looked at what my long-term potential um, earnings and lifestyle would look like if I stayed in the banking industry. And then I looked at what my numbers were looking like. You know, if I stayed as a creator, where could I take it? And even at that time, I had no clue I could get to where I am today, but the numbers looked healthy enough. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take the leap. Even if I do it for two years, it could be okay. Um, and I didn't just jump out. I kind of um, took a toe dip 
in and I quit my job, but then I took another job that was part time so I could make content and have a job as well. And you call your mum and you say, I'm quitting my job. I didn't tell her. I didn't tell mm, my mum. I didn't tell anybody. What? You've quit your big banking job. Oh, hell no. I could never do that. So I, I knew my parents would be worried and scared. Should we tell them now? No. <laughs> they know, they know now. <laughs> they so mum, I left my job. <laughs> they barely know what I do right now. Yeah, They're like, yeah. I do this thing on the internet. They're like, oh, well done. Yeah. <laughs> well done. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. So my mum. But yeah. yeah, so you you made that, you took that leap into YouTube. Um, was there a moment where you think, oh, fucking hell, this is, this is moving. This is, or was it just one step at a time? Slow and steady, Yeah. slow and steady. I was making, I'd been making content for seven years and then I got to a million subscribers. So I didn't have any of those really viral moments. And I saw lots of people kind of steamroll ahead of me, like go viral. They were part of these groups and these crews. And, you know, there was a time that there was a thing called the Brit Pack. They were all yeah. there. And I was just like in the corner by myself, like <laughs> prodding along. And then inevitably like my time my time came and it took again that seven years to one million and then one more year to another million and a half and I then had my own viral moments off the back of myself and um but I never kind of took the step back to be like oh you've made it because I never feel like I've made it not even now (sighs) not yet a lot of people might be surprised by that Mm, maybe but it's, it depends on someone's personal definition of making it right and what's yours world domination world <laughs> <laughs> what is mine um it's not just being popular on social media that's not my complete definition of success right i think for me it's like creating things that i want to create when i want to create them and monetizing them and bringing value so if I say my overall thing, that's it. What that looks like, I don't know just yet. And you don't think you're there yet? You don't think you're creating things that you really... Oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. But I don't think I've had like one big thing yet. Does anyone have one big thing though? I don't know. I think that, I, you know, I think if you'd gone back and asked Patricia when she was at MMU, what her making it look like, you would have said, you know, 100,000 followers. <laughs> on my, Do you know what I mean? True. So there's... Free clothes, <laughs> yeah. free food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So maybe true. the goalpost is just moving off into the future. And maybe yeah. that's, maybe that speaks to what life is. It's just that journey as opposed to that destination. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And influencers, being an influencer. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. When I say it, you know, what do you think about the lifestyle, the stigmas, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So when people say influence, I think there's a little cringe when they say it. Mm. But I think this concept of being influential is, has always been around, but it's all, always been around with the hands of the upper echelon of people. Only certain people are, are picked by certain industries to be influential. But what I love is like now there's this democratization. People can choose who they want to be influenced by. And how I got in my position is because people liked me. They they decided that actually I want to hear what Patricia has to say. I want to see what she's buying. I want to see what she likes. So I think it's a really powerful tool. We've all been influenced. The question is like, we want to choose who those influencers are. 
I'd it's say. it's a it's a it's a big I guess responsibility to some because I know for a fact that every time something happens in the world, you get a DM, Patricia, I mm. thought you were with us. Mm. Why aren't you doing fifty five Instagram posts about? Palestine or Kenya or India or oxygen in the fires in Australia. I thought you were one of, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Bearing in mind that my forte is makeup and clothing and and maybe financed, you know, to an extent, I feel there is pressure for influencers to speak up on every topic all the time but we are not credible sources who know everything we just don't and I think it's really important for us to say we're ignorant on a matter and we're we're learning but kind of speaking up on stuff that you know nothing about is very very stupid dangerous yeah yeah, Yeah. and stupid yeah um and also what is really scary is that if you don't think the same way that everybody else thinks you're in trouble what if you have an alternative perspective you're not allowed to have an alternative perspective. If you ask for peace, whether or not it's, you know, in the Middle East specifically or for, on a certain matter, oh, no way. Because the world wants to keep everything burning. But like, personally, I'm like, can can this just chill? Like, not just that situation specifically, but a lot of situations I'm like, I just wish it wasn't happening. Is that your approach to it? You think generally if I don't have a, a proper, well-rounded view because it's all well people like because i get the same this is how i know you'd get the same people Mm. message me and say steve speak on this issue or black lives matter or whatever um while i'm still processing it and what you're right what they're actually saying is Mm. share my opinion Mm. to your followers Mm -hmm. on this issue Mm -hmm. and they're trying they try and like guilt trip me into it like Mm, yeah you know especially when it's when when it's a, a group of people that I can relate to just viscerally. So like my skin color. Yeah. Yeah. I'm expected yeah. to be a, yeah. you know, the spokesman of all black people. Yeah. Oh, um, me too as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of, yeah. A lot of um, nastiness. What, what, what else do you think is um, unappreciated about being an influencer? You've obviously got a big platform. The other thing I was going to say, right. And this is what I was just thinking as we're talking. Um, the other day I thought, and I've been working out for a year and a half now. I always like talking about this. Love it. Single. Um, and Grace, who sat behind that curtain over there, I sent her a photo and I was like, I'm going to post like a transformation picture okay. of like the before and after. And me and Grace had a conversation because if I was a female mm-hmm. and I posted that, I would have got fucking ripped to pieces. Right, yeah. I would have been told I was toxic, irresponsible, body image, da 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 Yeah, yeah. I posted it, fine. Yeah. 100% of people like, send us your plan, like whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it really made me reflect on how tough it is to be a woman mm-hmm. on social media mm-hmm. with a big audience. It's like the standard of perfection in mm-hmm. terms of your like morals, what you're posting, how you're posting it, what you're saying is a high bar to reach. Yeah. Whereas I'm not held to that standard as a guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised, but there's going to be different standards you're held by. So with the women, like... Ours, there's a lot of pressure around our appearance or if we're mothers, how we mother or what we're wearing. I mean, it's so random, but I'm sure there's definitely things that men are going to expect from you that they're like, can't believe you did this or something. Or, know, it even relates toxic. to success. It's like I can come on and I could come on this podcast yeah. and say that I, the reason I'm successful is because of me. 
Mm. And I can talk about my big old ambitions and I'm going to, but when a woman does it, it's like, you know what I mean? It just seems like there's just a double, a total double standard. The fact that I can post me being kind of slightly overweight and out of shape and then like, Nine, 19 pack like <laughs> do you know what i mean i saw many yeah. videos you said seven abs or whatever like I, seven yeah. abs whatever and the comments are like woo but i know if if uh, if um if a woman did the same thing it would be like this is irresponsible what are you saying fat shame da, 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 da. oh why is that <sighs> i mean is I don't it wanna, because <laughs> like men and women are fundamentally different so i'm pres- presuming that your audience is like probably say 60% to 70% male. 80% women. 80% women? On on my Instagram in particular. Wow. I think women judge men by different standards. So what you'll see, oh, let's talk about this. What you'll actually (laughs) see in the world of beauty and women's fashion and um, industries that are predominantly consumed by women, men are always at the forefront. So the biggest influencers in the beauty industry are five men, <laughs> men who wear makeup, right? And Shit, that, that's so yeah, true. So men who wear makeup are more popular than, or let's say three, men who wear makeup can be bigger and get to bigger stratospheres than any women could. Um, the fashion industry and fashion brands all of them, the majority of them are owned by men and ran by men or creative directors are men, not not women. There aren't a lot of brands that are run and owned by women. And I just think this is something to do with biology, sociology, the way in which kind of women interact with men is different to how we interact with each other. I wish it was different, but Mm. I've, I've just noticed this like a lot. And and the other point, which I kind of alluded to there as well, is on on, the, on this topic of gender disparities. I guess mm-hmm. is it like dis- discrediting success. Yeah. Do people discredit your success? Do you know what? Not so much. And I think also because I'm a black woman, people are so happy to see me do well because they feel like it's rare. And so I think I'm afforded a bit more luxury to be a bit more like aggressive about, you know, I'm pushing, I'm moving hard, whether you like it or not. That's the Nigerian in me coming out. And culturally, I think um, I'm allowed to celebrate that a lot more because Brits, I don't think, like to celebrate people doing too well or being too much. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can get away with it a little bit more. Um, but I know like there, there is a little, there can be tension when I talk about my numbers too much and I'll definitely get the messages of this is not what you should be talking about. You shouldn't talk about how much you earn. It's a bit rude. Imagine a guy doing it though. Oh, oh, go on. What? Show us the Lamborghini again. Uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, that's all guys do. Yeah. That's, that's how yeah. they build their status is like, I mean, just that's what. That's how it works. Have you put your yes. Lamborghini on? No, no, I don't have a Lamborghini. <laughs> but no, but right. I can openly talk about how much money I've I've generated in my companies and no one's ever going to say, oh, that's so distasteful. They clap. And yeah. But when women do it, they people do go, oh God, she's yeah. not, that's not good taste, is it? Yeah. And that again is a huge, like Ben Francis, he talks about, he's built a one point something billion dollar company. Everyone's like amazing. Yeah. You know, they can show, men can show the nice things, the yeah. cars, the houses, whatever. And it's all, but the, the minute... Grace Beverly does a house tour. You can't do Ooh. it, yeah. I have a video called like how I made a million on YouTube, right? And um, it's it, firstly, it's got like 
over almost a million views on it. And, um, but the comments were so kind of crazy. People were like, I can't believe you're sharing this. We're really excited. But um, also like, mm, you shouldn't be putting this out there. And what I actually did is there's no way I could actually share my actual numbers. Cause I think people would judge me negatively and like fall over, be like, what the hell? How is it possible? And like almost want to stop the bag if that makes any sense. Like mm. they don't, people don't like to see women doing too big numbers. You gotta still be humble as a woman. How do you respond to that though? How do you, how does that impact the choices you make? And does it impact the choices you make? Isn't that sad though that you? It really does. So I've m- moved away from like putting out my numbers. I'm not gonna use using my numbers as a strategy or showing my things too much as a strategy. I also bought a couple of properties and, you know, I really want to share with people about financial empowerment and properties and making money. But like, I can see that almost like a a sour taste sometimes in people's mouths. So I show a bit less of it. I'm not going to show you the new house that I bought or, or something else. I'm I'm not going to show it as much. And I've tried to make more relatable content. Um, a, a lot of us have to be relatable and remain humble to still be considered um, a good influencer. Just don't show what you have. <laughs> Are you happy with that though? Are you happy to go along with that and to to do what, because um, when we spoke earlier about what your goal is, it's to make stuff that like really matters to you. And that sounds like it's driven by like my terms, you know, what I care about in my way and not allowing the audience to dictate what you create. That sounded like your North Star. And this being a good influence bit doesn't sound like it's going to make you very happy. Yeah, I think it's all about being strategic though, right? So like, if um, eventually showing lots of glamorous stuff is going to impact growth, it would be silly for me to keep doing it, right? And again, that's not my personal strategy anyway. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to be like, look at my new Lamborghini. Mm. Look at my new house. That's not who I am as a person. It's a bit bit cringe for me and it's not part of my strategy. But um, I do want to remain authentic, but I understand that showing too much of my success um, doesn't always sit well with people. And I'm happy to like, remove that aspect if that makes people more comfortable and I think that's because I'm a woman like Mm. I want people to feel comfortable Mm. and you know you're you start this platform called The Break yeah that was it when I say when I say that there's a big smile on your face yeah that's like my like my passion project turn like great potential business opportunity and I think for me that's like where I decided to start talking about these things. And we're just, we're talking about this now that people don't talk about money. Women don't talk about money. On that platform, I am unapologetic. And that's why I shared about the making a million in a year or making a million over a lifetime and showing how I budget my salary uh, and showing you how I bought a house in 10 minutes. I put that all on there because I feel like, you know, over there is where I'm going to talk about this stuff. So if you like it, it's there. If you don't like it, Let's go put on makeup on my other channel. Mm. And um, it's been just insane to see how it's grown and how much there's a huge demand for this type of content within this demographic. It was what was missing when you started out from what you said earlier. Exactly. And and that's why I created it. Because you were buying all those bags and being a bit reckless and no one told you. So you... 
exactly. And the tax man came knocking at my door and I got fined. And I was like, nobody needs to do this. This is how you incorporate. This is how you get your pension sorted out. This is how you can buy a property for your business. And I was just literally doing all the stuff that I kind of learned from my accountant and from the financial mistakes that I've made. I really wanted to just say, here you go. Here's this information. Use this. Make it be valuable to you to help you in your journey. Do you know in black culture, we, um, growing up, you know, I was watching 50 Cent and uh, all this stuff and he is a bad financial advisor <laughs> because, <laughs> and I, I Who gets their advice from 50 no, Cent though? <laughs> fucking every black, young black man, I know, do you know what I mean? I know. And what he told me about bottles and Lamborghinis and stuff, it really hurt me when I was 21 uh. and I finally got money and I went to the club and I was getting five bottles of Dom Perignon, please. And I blew a lot of cash. And mm-hmm. I just wish those, those role models, like the rappers that I followed when I was younger, I wish they'd told me about credit scores. You know what I mean? I wish, but that's not, it's not sexy, mm. right? It's not glamorous. It's not fun. Like I have a video on pensions, like mm. 401ks and, and whether or not you should be making a contribution to your SIP, right? That is not, oh, this is glamorous. No one wants to hear that, but there are going to be a few who do take it and use it. I wish we could dress up like credit scores, like give it lipstick, give it a Lamborghini. Um, But we haven't mastered that yet. Maybe I'll do that later. But they don't want people to know the truth. I don't think anybody wants people to really know the truth about finances. It's it's not beneficial. It's not beneficial to government. It's not beneficial to corporations. It's not beneficial to banks and lenders who actually want people to be inept in this area so they can make financial mistakes and then give them more money. Mm. So, like that's the reality of it like rich people aren't actually struggling financially it's actually everyone else on the maybe lower end of the spectrum who don't have this information but this information would transform their lives i guess that's why they call it financial freedom there we go yeah and you said this started as a passion project and now it's turned into a potential business opportunity exactly talk to me about that and where's it going Oh, this is, this is a lot. What, so where's it going? So we really want to build out like a web platform, which has content, but also tools that people can use. So one of the things that I created was a simple budgeting, like template. And like literally in like two weeks, we had like 20,000 people download an Excel spreadsheet on how to manage their day-to-day income. So clearly there's more that we can do here. We then launched a planner as well that just sold out in like a day or two. And then we're launching more of these. So for in the long run, I'd like to provide more financial tools and resources that people could use to help them with managing their everyday finances. The dream is like an app, but that takes time <laughs> to mm, like happen. Mm. But like we've got the de- designs and we're doing some testing now to really see how we can like build that out further. Of all the work you're doing mm-hmm. across all of these different projects, and I'm sure there's many, many more that we won't even talk about today. Mm-hmm. Is this the thing you're most excited about? And it's like choosing your choosing your favourite child, but... I would say it's something I'm really excited about because it's so valuable. So I'm very excited about it. And I think it's a new challenge. So as an influencer, like I work for brands, I, I make amazing content for them. I get nice things, but now this is my chance to kind of be a brand and create value more so. So it's really like a new challenge for me that I'm excited to kind of get into. And you, when you were saying we, you know, we've, mm-hmm. we've made an Excel document, who is we? 
So actually the Excel document I made, (laughs) but I do have like my husband who's been really supportive and like helping me build that out. And then I've like recruited a COO to like help help me think about scaling this out. But um, I've had other team members here and there, freelancers here and there, but I know inevitably that scaling is something I'm going to have to be willing to do. And that's hard for myself Mm. to do. Yeah. Your husband? My husband, Michael. Michael. Can I call him Mike? I think. You can call him Mike. <laughs> I can I can see him over there in the corner of the room. <laughs> Follow me around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's it like working with Mike? So, oh, that's a really good question. So working with Mike, you know what? Michael's been like with me for every step of my journey as a creator. And he's always worked a full-time job. And then he inevitably went even to more of a freelance role so that, I could use him when I needed him. So he will work as a contractor and I'm like, Mike, I need your help. Quit your job, come and help me. And so throughout my entire journey, he's been there to do that. However, working with your significant other can be real difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are times where we're like, "Mm, let's not do this. Go back to Mm -hmm. your job, Mm -hmm. make something happen, go back contracting. And then when we're like, oh, we're cool, come back again. So it's what's important for us is actually to establish how we communicate with each other and boundaries. Like when we're working together, we actually don't work in the same environment. So he'll work in an office and I'll work somewhere else. Because if you work in the same room at the same time, it's not pretty. We're going to send a microphone over to Mike in the audience to get his take on (laughs) (laughs) It's not pretty. Yeah, because I think when you're in like boss mode, Mm. like you can be quite direct. Like I'm very like, this doesn't look good. I don't Mm. like this. Can we change this? How, How do we do this better? This is wrong, right? And I think there are, when it's with your partner, they're going to take that personally over, mm. say, someone else who is, you know, just working with you. And I haven't developed my managerial skills to be great when it comes to, you know, my interpersonal skills just yet. So and I think when you're working with a loved one as well, you you feel like you want to be more direct, like they should know. Just you should know this. Come on. Like, but he doesn't always know and he can't read my mind and he's a man. So there's there's differences there. Um, so that's when it gets a bit difficult when we're together. And how do you, how do you balance like leaving work at work and not bringing that home with you? Because one thing I came to learn was that the Steve Bartlett that succeeds in a professional environment that is direct, Mm -hmm. that is, is very clear and uncompromising Mm -hmm. is not the same Steve Bartlett that is, is required to compromise and, oh, you want to go for a walk in the park for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. How do you, how do you, be two different people in order to achieve two completely different objectives. And how do you do that also when you're, you live and work in the house, right? The same house, because that's something that yeah. we deal with. I think it's, a, a, again, about setting these boundaries, like physically. So Michael won't really work in a house, even if he's working on my projects. And I try and work from an office as well, as much as possible. Um, and then it's the case of like switching off it's hard, man. It's really hard. I think as a creator, as a social media creator, like you're always on. I haven't mastered that yet, but we have kids. So the good thing about kids is that they force us to like give them love and give them attention. So we have to switch off and sort the kids out and give them a bath and give them dinner. So we'll always kind of, I don't know, switch brains because Mm. of that. 
Oh, that's a really good point. I never actually thought about the fact that kids would actually force some kind of balance into your life. They do. Which is, yeah. Yes. Amazing. And you, you guys have been together a long time. A long time, yeah. We've been together for 14, 14 years. Yeah. And married for like nine years, I think. Yeah, nine years, yeah. I always yeah. I always think, because um, of my own experiences of being pretty useless at relationships, mm-hmm. um, entrepreneurs, and mm-hmm. especially creators, I mean, creators, it's a different bag, because yeah. as you say, you're always on. They're, they're quite difficult to date. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think as well, and I'm probably going to get in shit as a troll for saying this, but I don't really care. I'm going to die anyway. Um, I think from entrepreneurs from other cultures mm-hmm. who've come up from another background and another another mother can be even more tricky to date. Yes. You spoke to your, your mother, you used the word, um, yeah. we'll say passionate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Does, does that re- can yeah, you relate? Yeah, so obviously Michael's like an Englishman from, from Manchester, right? And like we are very culturally very different and I think but it's so interesting I think if I wasn't with Michael I'd be very single and very lonely (laughs) like I've accepted that I don't know if anybody else would like actually handle me if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. I think it takes a certain kind of person to be with an entrepreneurial person let alone an entrepreneurial Nigerian woman like that's like so many different layers there and yeah yeah he's like a magician to be able to handle that and we're like polar opposite people I'm very like emotional and like let's do this now and he's very logical steady stable and I think that actually is the balance that I've needed like and I think we're meant to be together to like I don't know Ying and yang Ying and yang It's great You said he followed you here today But I heard you actually had a cyber stalker Oh yeah It's not not Mike Mike? I found out it was actually his account (laughs) Stalking me Um, Yeah no I did I had a stalker for like three years Oh wow Um, And it was someone who would like Just message me on all my platforms Constantly Send emails Message family members Really weird and nowadays I can't even remember like what their, what their issue was. I don't think they even had one. They were just obsessive me and obsessive, like my relationship to an extent. Cause I used to put vlogs out and I used to have like content with me and my husband. And I stopped like, actually it sounds so bad, but I think it was enough to tell me I'm not going to put myself out there in that way. Why? I... I think it takes an emotional toll having a stalker because you're worried. Like when you log in, am I going to see their messages? What are they going to do today? What are they going to say today? Are they going to dox me? So they found out my parents' name and address and say, your mum's this name and she lives here. So like those things. And obviously it was like psychological warfare. Um, Warfare. But it was, yeah, it was more psychological. But like when I was thinking about it, I kept thinking it's because I put myself out there too much. This is why they're targeting me. And I think inevitably it made me want to retreat in certain aspects. Do you still think that was the case now? I think that was one of my triggers, but I think inevitably I was like putting yourself out there too much from a personal perspective um wasn't something I wanted to do like I used to show like I showed our wedding I showed me giving birth oh, wow. I've showed I've put a lot out there okay link in the bio <laughs> <laughs> link in bio my best story <laughs> um and like the platforms love it when you put yourself out there a lot but inevitably it does take a toll on you mm. as a person 
And I, I just said, we're going to stop this. I don't want to be that person. I actually care more about my real life than putting a version of my real life online. I, I tend to think when you're reaching that many people, just probabilistically, just mm. by numbers, you're going to reach at least 10 artists. Yeah, okay. Just like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Regardless. It just happens, yeah. 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 And you're blocking this person, I'm guessing, every time they pop up and then they're making a new account. And, oh. They're yeah. making hundreds of accounts. They're messaging oh, other people. So what would happen is that when I would message someone online, they would like be in in the thread or they'd be watching everything I was doing. So I'd have to tell people, oh, I'm really sorry. I've got a stalker. Like if you got that message, it's from, it's from a, a stalker. They'd like message brands sometimes. It was just really weird behavior. And at some point it stopped. It vanished or? Yeah, it reduced. It reduced, I'd say. And then it inevitably like disappeared. I kind of forgot about it to be honest after a while. But I learned how to like listen to their speech pattern. So even if they would create new profiles, I always knew it was them based on the things that they would say and how they would say it. So they'll try to hide that it was them, but it's like, it's clearly you. Like, mm. And there's even like online forums where people like moan about online creators and she would like, she or he would go into the forums and be like talking about me. So I would stalk my stalker. Right, so I knew it was them. And then other people in the forum would be like, you're Patricia's stalker. Like they would know it was the stalker. So yeah, anyway. Wow, what a ride. That made you feel unsafe at any point? There was nothing where it was like, we know your home address. We're going to, I'm going to come there. There was some of that. Oh, really? So there was some of, so I did a meet and greet, an event. And then they messaged me. He's like, ha ha, I was at your meet and greet. You didn't even know who I was. You didn't see me. You look so terrible in person. Next time I'm going to do something, right? So I remember feeling so anxious and I would, I, I vlogged it. And I remember like looking through the footage and I was like, who could it be? Who could it be? It's like racking my brain. It's like, which one is it? Which one is it? And I think it made me a bit paranoid, like for a season, but I was never scared because I'm from South London. <laughs> I'm not scared. Come to my house. And we'll, <laughs> come to like, we'll see. Like I, I even prefer that. Like come to my house. <laughs> and let's see. So what's ne what's next for you then in your in your life as you look forward? You know, I'm not talking about goals. I'm just saying the the sort of macro, the overall feeling mm. you want from your life and where you want to be. I think it's being open to more challenges that are different to what I'm used to. I have been making content and creating by myself, for myself, for brands for so long, for like 10 years. And I've, I, I, although I think I'm a brave person, I feel like I've got very comfortable. So I want to set myself out on challenges that are completely outside of my comfort zone. Maybe do something that, you know, is unexpected for me, unexpected for me as a creator influencers don't do this or influencers of your size don't do this or this kind of thing. And I really want to work on like creating more products and really building out a brand and not necessarily being the face of everything. Why? Why not the face of everything? So I actually realized though I'm in the public eye to an extent, like I don't really like being famous. I don't really want to be a personality. I don't want things to be about me. And I don't know why I put myself out there if I didn't want that. But I think fundamentally, I'm happy to slink into the background. Why don't you person. want that? Yeah. I think there are other people who want it more. Like, I don't enjoy being 
famous as in not that I don't enjoy it, but I think there are people who like really want to be famous right and there are people who just want to do what they do and do it well and and like not just have their own normal friends do that their own normal things and get on with life like I get on the train every day and I, I go on the underground and some people are like you get on the underground I'm like yes it's quicker but I don't want to ever be in a place where I can't get on the underground people are stopping you saying hi Patricia can I have yeah pitch and you're like no covid no i always <laughs> no i was like no i'm always friendly i guess you can use that fame for things that you do care about though right like i like that you're right you know what i mean it's yeah. like double-edged double-edged sword it costs yeah. something but it gives creates an opportunity for something in a way oh yeah wow you just you just yeah you just told me off there in a good way no no i, know, no, I, I love that yeah i, 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 know, yeah, I love yeah, what you just yeah. said that you I, can use a, the fame for value yeah that's kind of what I, I can, can, the battle I'm having at the moment, because obviously just done Dragon's Den. Yeah, exactly. And that's going to be all over the TV and stuff. And people are going to start coming up to me and pitching me their business ideas in the street, which I don't want to fucking yeah. hear. Well, I have an idea for you. No, oh, <laughs> <laughs> no but you know what I mean? Like you're going to get, because I, I went out with Peter Jones for like dinner. And, yeah, yeah. And he goes, I'm just going to pop to the toilet. Yeah. And I, it takes three steps and a guy stops him. Hi, Peter. I, kn- I knew you were here pitches in the idea oh. the percentage asks it and i'm just looking at peter thinking that's gonna be my fucking life oh, you know what oh, i mean and I think it, but what so what's the upside what's the why am i doing this why yeah. have i created a, why have i put myself out there and i think yeah. okay, all the other upsides are that it's going to allow me to build things that are more in line with yeah you know, things i care about it gives you a platform and audience or, you know yeah no i love stuff. it you're right you're right mm. and i and i'm battling with the fact that there's clearly a reason why I'm I'm here or why I've got this audience and why I people connect with me, right? And actually maybe it's a good thing that I have no huge desires to be famous. Um, so I'm going to have to work out how to deal with that attention in a way um, better and not just think about slinking into the background. That's maybe, how you feel? Slinking into the background? I want to I be low key. Like I want to make my videos and... It sounds crazy. And no one really watched them. <laughs> like, I, li- I like the idea of when <laughs> things are small. No, because I've been very viral. Like, so I was really viral. I was getting like 8 million views a video, 13 million views a video. And at the time I was like, oh, this is quite, this is a lot for me to like handle because people were like messaging me all the time, like Patricia. And I'd be like, hey guys, hey. Um, so it's not that I want to slink into the background. I think I just need to be more comfortable with recognizing that, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm doing it. Um, but still keep that normality. That's really important for me. And what have you learned over the, in terms, as it relates to, if you were, because I'm thinking now about, you've got an entrepreneur over there in the corner, Sophia, and she's she's starting a meal prep business. She's also working in the city in finance. Okay. So it's, it's very yeah. coincidental that she's she happens to be here today. If Love you were that. speaking to someone like Sophia and you, you were just giving her a bit of advice on how to um, become as successful in what you do as you have been Mm -hmm. what are those underlying principles where you say that really is the thing there's no quick route but that thing there is the thing so i think the first thing is leaning into your like authentic tone like what is the thing that makes you or your brand yours and not running away from that and not trying to be something else it's like learning to not be scared of yourself. This is what we are. This is who I am. This is it, right? And then consistently putting that out all the time so that people connect with that. They either connect or they don't, but you only want those who are going to connect with that true version of yourself or your brand. 
And then it's, of course, you know, you're going to jump on trends or, or things that are viral so you can get traction. That's what I did. I would jump onto viral trends, but do it in my own tone of voice. Um, and, you know, it's the consistency. Continue. That's I've it. never done this before, but I want to ask Mike a question if I can. You can ask Mike a question. He's Mike, famous. Mike, I saw you on her Instagram actually with the with the baby father's day. Um, I wanted to ask you from your perspective, why do you think Patricia has been so successful in what she's done? Well, I reckon for a number of reasons. Partly, I think it's her personality. Personality. Because she doesn't acknowledge. So Patricia, it, Patricia doesn't acknowledge a lot of good things about herself. Mm. She's definitely 100% her biggest critic. She brings a lot of energy and passion and enthusiasm and stuff like that. So when you watch her, you feel good or you feel happy or you feel interested or inspired. Mm. It's something that she doesn't really acknowledge, but I think that's a part of it. Mm. I do think there's certain fundamental, like, I suppose, numerical things like consistency and sticking with it over time and you know, all those types of factors that you can look at from a numbers perspective that mm. help. Mm. So definitely doing that and staying with it and doing, you know, mm. your three uploads a week and your regular posts and all those sort of things that help. But there's a lot of people that do that and don't have the same level of success, right? Thanks. So that's why you have to look at, well, what's the differentiating factors? So I think there's that. I think there's an element of um, her kind of openness and honesty and her also because of, I think partly because she's done it a long time, she's very natural and authentic. Yeah. So you don't feel like you're watching someone who's performing. Mm. You feel like you're watching someone who is genuinely, you know, giving who they are mm. to you. And that's rare, right? So mm. I asked Mike there what, you know, what his, he thought the causal factors behind your success were. He pointed at personality, you being vulnerable and you being authentic. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of rare online with the world we live in with perfection filters and don't share the bad shit. Yeah. And I think I'm lucky in that I came up in an age of making content where it was so authentic. There was no business behind it and it was about connection. So I had that training. That was my training gown for being a creator. Just, just do what you do. Don't, mm. don't think about it. Just do what you like. So I, I feel lucky that I've got that as like my basis as creating um, and being an influencer. Well, I, I can certainly feel that. And I think it comes through in everything you do, especially the stuff you're doing on the break. I've never watched videos about finance that seemed to be so entertaining and real <laughs> and weren't trying to be like snotty financial, like long word business bullshit advice. Yeah. So it made it super like inclusive and um, real. And obviously mm -hmm. that's what's absent in that space. Exactly. Is inclusion. That's why yeah. like, we both probably bought bags we shouldn't have bought. <laughs> Don't play on that. I definitely, definitely shouldn't have bought. Definitely. So. so thank you so much, Patricia, for your time today. You're such an inspiration to so many. And thank you. much you know, much of the reason for that in my view is because you're such a real person. Thank you. And yeah. um and you're willing to share that realness with everybody. Um what you've done is remarkable, and I'm sure this is just the beginning for you. You look about twenty-three as well. I was like, you literally look twenty-three, but that's oh, part you. of the upside <laughs> of the the ethnic background. Um thank you so much for your time. It's no, such an honor. Thank you for having me. It was great to come on and have a chat. Thank you. Uh,